Since 1972, Braun Industries has been a custom ambulance manufacturer focused on safety, quality, and innovation. Each Braun module is unique well beyond the chassis it's built on. With six ambulance models, limitless features, and all customizable options, let Braun assist you in designing the perfect custom ambulance to suit your needs. Learn more at www.braunambulances.com. Is your fire department prepared to face challenges like the turbulent economy, recruiting and retention, and funding? Level up and get the training and strategies you need on the issues that matter most at WAVE 2023. Featuring ESO Training Academy on April 11th through the 14th, 2023 in Austin, Texas. ESO, a leading provider of fire RMS and EPCR software, brings together national industry leaders, quality training, and experienced fire and EMS professionals for a unique conference experience that will inspire you to drive change within your organization and prepare for 2023's challenges. For a limited time, our listeners can use the discount code FIRETRUCK to save $100 on a full four-day conference pass. Don't miss this opportunity to learn from some of the nation's top experts in emergency services. Visit ESOWave.com to register today. That's E-S-O-W-A-V-E dot com. See you in Austin on April 11th through the 14th, 2023. This podcast is brought to you by Flex 7 from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. Like a trusted turnout jacket you've had for years, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric delivers a perfectly broken-in feel on the very first wear. Flexible, comfortable, and powered with the strength of enforced technology, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric is made to move. To learn more, visit tenkatafabrics.com slash flex7. Flex 7, powered by Enforced Technology, only from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. Welcome to another episode of the First Two Battalion Chiefs. And tonight I'm honored to have with me, joining me, is Tony Carroll, retired from Washington, D.C. Tony, there? Yes, sir. I'm here, ready for action. Hey. Hey, Tony. Hey, thanks for thanks for coming on tonight. Um, appreciate it. Do you, do you like that classical music? It gives it a – I feel like it gives us a little kind of a air of, like, uh, sophistication, you know? <laughs> Before the, yeah, before I, the insanity. I, I'm surprised that it's, I'm surprised that came from Chief Sheridan. I never thought of you to be the classical, um, classical guy. <laughs> and I'm not. But anyway, so so Tony, um, why don't you just introduce yourself and, instead of me trying to figure this out? I know you were in Washington, and I know you retired, and now you're somewhere in Virginia. So why don't you tell us a little bit about you, where you were, and where you are now? Yes, yes. Uh, so, um, 
I started out as a volunteer back, you know, um, 40 years ago, and um, in my in my hometown here in Northern Virginia, that took me to um, Alexandria, Virginia. Where I worked there for a couple of years, then I, I got onto the D.C. Fire Department, where uh, I had an amazing career there, 29 years, and uh, finally um, retired as a battalion chief uh, in the second battalion, which um, goes from Capitol Hill out to uh, like RFK Stadium. Um, it's a it's a really and farther east all the way to Maryland. It's a really diverse um, battalion with a bunch of bunch of good good guys and go getters in there. Um, that was fun. And then um, a friend of mine was uh, chief in a in a small small department, big county, uh, very rural in the middle of Virginia, and um, they were starting to do shift commanders there. So uh, me and another me and another friend, I went down and talked to him, and uh, he was like, "Yeah, put in. You know, it's a growing place." So I did that. It's about it'll be two years in May, around Memorial Day of um, May is when I when it'll be my two year anniversary there. Um, again, small department. We only, we have uh, we just uh, added a few more people, so we're up to like 72 in the career department. It's a combination, so there's volunteer departments down there, um, very rural. Um, it's uh, it's about a 520-square-mile county with uh, 40,000 people. So um, it's kind of cool. You know, I, got, I, I get to see um, a different side of firefighting and uh, a lot of EMS work. So that's what I'm doing now. It's pretty cool. Very nice, yeah. That sounds like the town I live in. I live up in Putnam County, up up in uh, a little town called Mayapak, and it's the same thing. We have about 40,000 people. It's about the same size, but we're strictly volunteers. So who knows? Maybe when my uh, my day comes to retire, I don't know, maybe I'll go and see what's happening with the volunteer fire department. So anyway, um, how long? let me ask you, how long were you a battalion chief in D.C.? Uh, just a, about four years. Oh, yes. I did. Um, okay. I did a couple different battalions. Um, my first, my first assignment was um, first battalion, which is primarily um, um, like 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 residential buildings. Um, there's some row houses, a lot of single families. It's a it's um mm. it, it kind of borders northeast of like what you would think of as like the, the DC part. And then I went to the training. I went to the training academy firm. 18 months or so, and then back out to the field. Um, so, yeah, I think it was four or five years as a battalion chief. Gotcha. So, yeah, all right. So, so anyway, what I'm trying to do now with this new uh, with this uh, podcast is I'm trying to bring it back a little bit more to the roots, you know, like uh, what it is, the first two battalion chief. And I want to make it more, more like uh, instead of being so scripted, I just want it to, to be more – of a kind of a spontaneous discussion like you'd have in a kitchen, you know? And uh, so anyway, I, 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 rem I, I think I first met you on Phil Jose, Phil Joe's, his, uh, we had that little uh, session we were doing, that training session on the, uh, he'd put up a scenario and then a bunch of us yeah. would bring our own experience into that, which I thought was really cool. Uh, it was at some yeah, point, at one point I think, yeah, a dozen of us at some point from all over the country 
Yes, I think I I knew who you were, but I mean that's the first time I actually ever really met you. So anyway, um, yeah, you know what I wanted to talk talk about just to start the conversation is I had a little incident about two weeks ago. I wound up going to a multiple alarm. They had they had had a serious fire during the night. I'd say it came in around midnight in the in the borough. The, actually, the town, the, the the neighborhood that I grew up in, and we had a wind-driven event. I wasn't at the fire, but um, one of my truck companies went, and we've had a few of them lately. We've had um, some wind-driven events, and what's what's kind of uh, I guess kind of disconcerting is that we always associate wind-driven fires with high-rises, right? And I know. I'm sure in D.C. you've had you've had your share of uh, high rises. I would imagine, like project type buildings we call them. And we always associate wind driven fires with, um, you know, like high rises, like ten, fifteen, twenty story buildings, and never think about it so much with two story private dwellings or you know, you know, anything attached to anything. Because any any place where you have wind, you have the potential for a wind-driven event. And this was one of those things where it started in a, in the back in a, I guess, in a car. Then it exposed the uh, the dwelling and got into the windows, and the wind just took it. And one of the engine companies came in, and they tried to hit it head-on. And uh, I think one one or two of them went to the burn center, and a few of them jumped out windows. One of the, one of the guys that jumped out the windows were uh, was a... Uh, a, fire, a lieutenant who was a firefighter in one of my truck companies. So, I don't know, maybe just get the ball rolling and we can talk a little bit about wind-driven fires. I, I think that, um, from what I remember, uh, that fire in Cherry Road, was that was that in Washington, D.C.? Yeah, yeah, and um, that, was not, that was not a wind-impacted uh, fire. Uh, it was oh, just, it wasn't. Okay. you know, uh, no, it was just fire behavior. Right, um, oh, basement, okay. basement with um, with uh, uncontrolled, with some with some ventilation, you know, some uh, uncoordinated ventilation and, and with hose lines that, um, you know, and it, that was some some communications issues, but no, it wasn't a wind. It wasn't wind impacted. And you know, I I think okay. that that's one of the things that um, you know, we had we have high, our high rises in D.C. are capped at. Um, a certain height, right? So probably, probably a 13, 14 story building would be the tallest thing that we had in the city. Um, and and I can't really remember a whole lot of like, uh, you know, of that wind that you kind of characterize, you know, being around high, uh, the really tall high rises like you guys had. Um, so I mean, that definitely happened. I, there was definitely some incidents, you know, when I can think of some that. That came from the you know outside in kind of fires that were impacted, but um, it's tough to really put a finger on, you know, some of the ones that again you guys got a lot of remarkable incidents there like Vendalia Avenue, you know that that was those are some crazy wind driven fires that I, I can't really relate to. Yeah, well I um, I've been involved in a few and one one in particular I was lieutenant and someone did something. You know, all it takes at a fire is just one firefighter to do something 
you know, without thinking or without communicating. And I've had a few of them, but this one in particular, this uh, firefighter, and I heard the I heard the the glass break, and I was like, all I could say was, oh man, <laughs> and I didn't say it like that, but um, and only by the grace of God that the wind was blowing from the other window, it blew behind my back and into the room and out. And the room just lit up like a, like an inferno. And, uh, you know, had that gone the other way, we, the six of us would have, would have been instantly roasted because the wind was, was just came, came whipping through there, you know? I don't know. I'm thinking like now after these two events, you know, I'm a, I'm working, and the first thing I, you know, we look at when the when we have to change the toys is we get a weather advisory, and one of the things that we we get informed about is the actual wind speed or the expected wind speeds. Because I think now, after these last few events that we just had, you know, it, it's we have to disassociate now, thinking that these wind-driven events are only for high rise. They could they could turn up anywhere. We had one. A few years ago, up in Throg's Neck, and I wasn't working. I just happened to come in. I relieved the guy that night. And the fire was in a private dwelling. And uh, it was a total wind-driven event, you know, mm-hmm. in, in a two-story private dwelling in Throg's Neck. So I think, uh, you know, when we talk about doing a size up, when we talk about cold with wealth, that W is weather. I think we should also say wind as part of that weather. What do you, yeah. how, how do you feel about that? Yes. Yeah. I, I tell you what I really I really took away from um, from you know Steve Schaefer from Boston right he's doing that thing with us with Joe's and um, I, I I talked to him I did a Mayday Monday interview with him about the Back Bay fire uh, that um, the anniversary mm-hmm. was just um, just the other day Recent. that um, yeah. you know they they lost the two guys right and he talked about mm-hmm. how. He was at, they had a staff meeting in town earlier that day, and apparently wherever they were, it was like an older building, and he, he talked about how the windows were rattling because there was so much wind oh, that wow. day. And then he wow. goes to this fire later on, and because of where hmm. he was, right, they, the, he pulled up on the leeward side of the building, so the wind is hitting the back. And he didn't even like, yes. you know, he he forgot about that about that earlier, and then he wasn't getting hit with the wind. So um, that really that really drove home the the wind driven, and like you said, like like making that a part of your um, your size up, and you know, even we talk about. I remember talking about as a, you know when you drive into the firehouse in the morning, that's when your size up starts, right? Well, um, absolutely, yeah. and that's when you can kind of see that wind, uh, that wind is pushing and going, and you know, add that to your, to your, uh, your rolodex for for that day. I mean, I I think that he talked about make making sure you take like a tactical pause to take everything in, right, so that you can then mm-hmm. you know make make the right decision. Yeah. You know, I thought about, I was walking uh, around the lake in my town just the other day, and someone I had up, like, on a nautical pole, they had, like, this wind sock, you know, and the wind was, like, was, like, howling, you know. And I thought to myself, I said, you know, it might not be a bad idea to put put some of these on top of our fire trucks or our chief's cars because it would be a visual 
reminder as we're pulling up, like, oh, man, why is that thing, like, stiff, you know? Maybe something yeah. to think about, you know? Because, you know, um... Well, what we did... Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, it's yeah, just a visual thing. reminder. That, yeah. Well, you know, I just I just saw a uh, a conversation, I think it was on Facebook, and, um... The guys, the guys had. I think that you know uh, Nick Papa from uh, from up there in New England. He uh, wrote that ventilation book, and he did a class somewhere. And he, and he told the guys, he's like, "Hey, look at your flag at, on the flagpole. If it's if it's standing tall, if it's stiff, it's like a twenty mile an hour mm-hmm. wind. If it's yeah. you know half, if it's half up, that's a ten mile an hour wind. So that's a good." Mm. That's a good, easy, you know, us for firemen to remember. That was a pretty good uh, nugget there to learn. You know, something that we learned that we did on the uh, the Governor's Island drills with the UL. Now, I wasn't in on those drills. I had already committed to go to South America, so I, I kind of missed out on that. But, you know, one of the things that we've we've learned from doing those drills is that we came up with this uh, floor below nozzle, right? So it, it comes from the floor below. It's got a kind of a bend bend on it. And we try to introduce uh, water into the airstream. And, it, you know, you, you look at some of these videos, and it doesn't take much water to really get this fire to get knocked down, like to, dis- you know, to really, like, really take the, the starch out of it, you know? Yeah. And... I think that part of our size up needs to be whether if it's a really windy day, you know, where's going to be our point of entry? Like, do we want to be coming in with the wind at our face? You know, maybe it's better we we find another door, come in the other way, and try to have it at our back. You know, because um, there was a fire we had in the Empire State Building. I I I want to say it was, gosh, it had to be like it had to be before nineteen let's say, 1991, because I was still in 17 trucks. And I remember I was sitting outside the police station. There's a subway there waiting for my wife, and I'm looking. I could see the Empire State Building, and I saw this fire. They must have sent four or five engine companies in, one after the other, trying to try to knock this out. And someone had the idea that he went down another hallway and came down and flanked it, and was literally standing next to the room that was on fire as he's blowtorching out. And, uh, you know, he, then he just radioed and said, listen, let's bring the line over here. And they just were able to flank it, you know. So maybe this is something that we need to think about, you know, when we get a, a wind advisory. You know, do we want to, you know, do we want to go in that front door? Maybe, maybe it's better off that we find maybe the side door or even the rear door. I mean, if it's that much wind. Yeah. No, I think that that um, that just keeps leading more more credence, right, to us making sure we're doing like a 360, or we're getting we're getting views of all sides of the building. You know, that's we were lucky in D.C. because we were, you know, we had we were on top of each other with with companies, so we had a company in the rear right. pretty quick. You know, so we get we had we had a, a good view or a good good building intelligence on what was going on. Yeah. You know what I want to do, Tony, real quick? I forgot to do this. I want to 
give our phone number if anyone wants to call in. I don't know if anyone's listening to us live, but it's the number for call in is seven six zero four five four eight eight five two. If you'd like to uh call us and give us some thoughts, uh be very happy to uh take your call. So what what works very well for us, we have you know, we have a five man five person uh truck company. We have five five uh firefighters I mean, four firefighters on our engines, not including the officer. One of our firefighters is, is called the outside vent firefighter, right? His job is to kind of go around the rear and get a size up and, and see what's happening. And then we have a roof firefighter who goes up to the roof and gets some eyes on the on the top of the building. So one of the things, especially in a taller building, is that we'll ask the roof firefighter to replicate what's happening on the fire floor. So he goes to, he he or she would go up to the floor above the direct fire apartment and um uh, would open the door and open a window and report down to command say hey listen um we got a serious wind condition up here you know and uh transmit that to the to the first two engine and truck company you know to advise them that you know hey listen we got potentially we got a a serious wind wind condition here And, uh, just, so me, you know, me, this is a side note. Yeah. That's in a fireproof building. You said building. you had to go replicate it? Yeah, so it's in a fireproof building, right? And at the same time, yeah. too, we've also used that firefighter to give directions, like the layout yeah. of the apartment to the firefighters in the fire apartment. Like, hey, listen, the two bedrooms are in the rear or whatever. But So what he'll do is, He'll try to replicate, or he or she, I should say, will open a window and then open a door and then check yeah. and to see what kind of conditions are, you know, are, would be on, encountered on the fire floor. Wow. That's good but that, stuff. That's in, a fire, that's in a fireproof building, though. Fireproof, you know. I mean, uh, doing that in a non-fireproof, in a, in a Type 3 or a... A type five may not work, you know, on the floor above. But you know, in a in a you know, multiple dwelling type one, that's a very good way to to uh, you know replicate the uh, the conditions on a fire floor. And it's all about door control, like controlling the stairwell doors. You know, we're very good at uh, determining one stairway as attack and the other one is evacuation. You know, I was just out in Chicago two weeks ago, and I happened to stumble across a fire with one of the guys out there. I went, uh, you know, I showed up. It was a high-rise. It was a 15-story fireproof type one. And uh, I was listening to the radio. The guy I was with, um, Tim Ulk, was, uh, had the department radio. And I, I heard them, and they said, you know, okay, stairway A is the attack stairway, you know, stairway B is the evacuation stair. But we also have to make sure that we control that door on the fire floor, especially the evacuation stair. We don't want to keep that door open. And with the attack stair, we have to be very careful about drawing the fire to us, but sometimes we have no choice because that's the way we're going to we're going to stretch our line, right? So yeah. That's, but that's more specific to, to fireproof buildings, you know. So t- tell me about the um... The curtain, you guys still you use a lot. Is there a lot of use? Yes. 
of the curtain still? Yes, we you, we do use the fire curtain. You know, the chief has the option to to put into place the curtain, or we have what we call the blanket. The blanket is a little bigger. That's how, that's carried by the squads and the rescues, I believe. But the truck companies carry the KO curtain, and the, that came about. There was two firefighters, um, uh, Patty Kilduff and uh, Tommy Oswald from 19 Truck. And we had this fire, and I just, I mutualed off that day. I was supposed to be working, and I wound up mutualing off. We had a fire um, on the top floor on on uh, Park Avenue and 159th Street. It's a big, big, tall project building. Anyway, um, it was one of those jobs where there was, like, engine companies were like, just getting burnt, and then they relieve them, and burnt and relieve them. It was the same fire where Mickey Conboy used the roof rope to, to get a woman that was trapped. And what had happened at that fire was that someone opened the door on the opposite side of the hallway on the fire floor. So what happened was the wind whipped through the open door down the hallway and, you know, into the fire, you know, what was it now? It was drawn, I'm sorry, it was drawn. The, the wind came out the fire apartment into the hallway and down the hallway towards that open door. That's what that's what had happened. So, you know, we always talk about when we're operating on the fire floor that we want to make sure that we don't open doors on the opposite side, right? If you have, like, like Vandalia yeah. Avenue, right? That was on the... Yeah. On the let's say the south side that that apartment, right? If if someone had opened a door on the north side, the wind would would whip through that apartment and go towards that open door. So we want to make sure that we control those doors on the other side, like apartment doors. We don't want to open them at all. But the curtain yeah. the curtain is supposed to um, be deployed from the floor above. And it's supposed to stop that wind. And that's where they did, that's where they learned that, was that that fire. 19 truck was probably second to it, that fire. And uh, that's how they came up with that curtain. And uh, now, we, you know, now it's pretty commonplace for us to, to deploy that curtain at a, at a high rise. I'm thinking, though, too, now, Tony, that why can't we use it in buildings other than high rises? If we're going to yeah. have wind problems, in other types of buildings, maybe we should start thinking about uh, wind control devices, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, uh, have you seen the, the door, the, the door curtain, the small one that um, yes. Reich from Germany came up with? I mean, that's kind of that, 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 could, that could help with that. If you have to go into the front door, right? I mean, I think that we, we have the option of making an attack from the windward side, you know? I mean, even if it means even if it means throwing some water in from the outside to get a knock on it. I mean mm -hmm. like you said, man, it's a little bit of water does a does a lot of good for for us. Um that if you can size that up ahead of time, you know, uh throw some water in there and, and cool it off, that may help you make that attack from the front door if that's where you want to go in. Yeah. Something I something I came up with. I was I was out in um, the Chicago area two weeks ago. I was working with the department up there called Highland Park, and they have this very very 
unique situation, which I don't get really rattled very easily, but this rattled me. <laughs> it was a six-story wood frame building loaded with Ooh. trusses. And it's it's in the form wow. of an L. And, and I was just like, I'm looking at this building, and I did a walkthrough, and I'm, I'm looking at the sandpipes, and... And I'm thinking to myself, like, what in God's name were they thinking when they built this thing? You know, because, um, yeah. you know, it's all, yeah, firefighting in, in taller buildings, right, it's all about door control, right? So you kind of want to get out of that stairway and get to the apartment door, right? If you could get to that apartment door and control it, now, now it's game on. Now you could stretch the hose dry and charge it at the door, and then, you, you know, you can make your attack. If you can get the bedroom door, that's even better, right? But now you're talking yeah. about a building that has a cock loft or a truss loft on every floor. So now, let's just say worst case scenario, the fire gets up into that truss loft, and you have control of the door, and you're thinking like, okay, well, I got control of the door, and now the fire is over your head in this truss loft. Yeah, yeah very yeah. very unnerving, man. I was really trying to wrap my head around, like, like what do we do here? You know, like, I don't know. <laughs> what do you, yeah, what, well, would, I mean, be, what would be your, your thoughts? I mean, fortunately, I think that those are pretty modern buildings. And I'm thinking that they're building them with some fire protection in them. That's going to help. It's going to help. It's going to help with that life hazard. Now, it's still going to be tough to put the fire out. But um, hopefully, right, the sprinklers have activated and the residents can get out. And then we, we can go in and be a little bit more deliberate in uh, our fire attack. But, no, uh, you're right. I mean, I, I, that hmm. that one is uh, is scary. And I think that that's what we're seeing, right? I mean, I know I was in um, – as before I got promoted to battalion chief, I was downtown by the White House, and uh, a lot mm -hmm. of that uh, new construction has got so many void spaces now. And, um, it, you know, even, even some of the – some of the fire, I wouldn't say fireproof, but, a, you know, a better, a, a type type 2 kind of stuff has better construction and has fire protection in it, but there's lots of void spaces. So the fires aren't really big, but you're chasing them around, it seems like, um, more now than we were before. Yeah, so that would be my concern, though, like are the, are the void spaces sprinkled? Yeah. They're probably not. So now the sprinklers are, like, on the ceiling level, and now you have this void space. Like, we have a lot of buildings in the Bronx that were vacant when I was, you know, when I was a young firefighter. And then, like, in the mid-'90s, they started renovating them. Right. And, uh, you know, now we're stuck with all these voids. And what happens is, invariably, like, like there's one particular void. It's in the bathrooms, right? And um, actually, the champ, I was doing a, a, the remote tactical training, you know, we did a vacant building. We did a rehab building, I should say. And uh, there's a void that's in the bathroom behind the medicine cabinet, and it's almost like a little room. And it goes from the, the cellar or the basement up to the cockwalk where they run all their pipes and electric and all that stuff. And there's, yeah. there's all these voids where they run all this, like they use them for raceways. We actually found one void that was the size of a closet. So... Those voids are generally not are not uh, sprinkled, and what, what I try to preach or talk about is that we're seeing more and more in America. Like you'll take an old uh, 
movie theater or an old church or whatever. And like even like in the Bronx, we have an old factory, an old warehouse, and now it's apartment buildings, right? And so invariably with the she rocks, they they have all these voids, right? Like it's just because the way they they build the apartments, they just build like like a movie set almost. Like think about like a movie theater, like a movie. A movie lot, like a set. You ever see, like, how they build rooms yeah. within, like, a, a space, you know? Well, that's yeah. really what we have now. We have, like, like we have an apartment that's in an old warehouse space with all these voids. Because, you know, you might have, like, a 200 by 200 area, and, you know, they might throw 10 apartments in there. And you have this void space above you. So what I worry about is firefighters going in, like, um, and now all of a sudden the fire is everywhere, you know? Well, um, it's, um, yeah, I, I, I'll, I think, I think I, you know, we're talking about void space fires, and you, somebody might have set me up, but, like, um, one of my, it wasn't, wasn't one, of my, one of my best nights was uh, we had a fire. It was a four-story apartment building, and um, pretty new, but it looked like it was, like it had some age to it from the outside, right? But um, as 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 time went on that night, I could figure out that it was pretty new. So we went there for smoke coming from the roof, and um, we get inside, and there was some some um, passersby said they saw smoke, smoke and and sparks coming from the chimney. So the you know the the roof okay. team goes up there, they don't see anything. We go inside. We go inside. We got into a couple of apartments. We didn't get into all of them. We got into a couple of them. We couldn't find anything. We didn't, you know, we didn't smell anything. We didn't see anything. So it's like, ah, uh, you know, we're not going to, you know, it's one of those ones where we're not going to bust down every door because indications are, you know, it's the, maybe the, there was a fireplace. The One of the one of the uh, residents that we did get into had a fireplace, had a fire in their fireplace, and everything was fine. So it's like, all right, well, you know, it must have just been, something they saw while they were walking by. So we leave. Well, we go back. I don't know, it was mm. like two hours later maybe. And um, oh boy. now you could smell wood burning. You could smell wood burning, and mm. you had a haze on uh, upper floors. So um, we got into one apartment we couldn't get into. We broke the door down. We get inside. And now there was, like, smoke coming from one of these doors that we opened up happened to be an elevator, right? It was a... Um, so they had an elevator that served served the from the first floor to the fourth floor, but there was a um, there was access in this one apartment that we got into. Well, we, we opened that up. There's no fire in there. So for, somebody stepped back and they they felt like warmth around um, this this part of the. I think it was the fireplace in the second floor that was a the empty apartment, right? So I got like turn my thermal imaging camera, I go over, and there's heat, I mean heavy heat in this chase. What they had was fireplaces on all four floors, and all and they all the fire chimneys tied into this big chase, right? So you got one fireplace on the first floor, two chases on the second, three, and so on as it went up. This room was, this chase was easily, you know, four feet deep by six foot wide, and it went from the first floor to the roof. And, um, you know, again, the second time we went back, now we opened up and found found active fire inside there. Um, again, 
you know, it was it was early in that, so it wasn't, you know, it hadn't it hadn't come out of that yet. But yeah, I mean, that could be again. I mean, I'm, I you know, I'm thinking we, we we left there with that fire burning earlier, and now yeah. fortunately for us, you know, we got back. We, they called us back. The fire alarm's going off now. We smell it before you know any residents got um, got hurt by that, um, and then you know we were able to to find that. Now you know again. We went back a third time because of bad, probably bad um, overhaul by me and the company. But that's another story. So, uh, like I said, probably yeah, set up. If anybody, if anybody, um, if anybody is listening to this that, that that worked with me, they'll be like, "Oh yeah, we remember that one," you know. And and uh, yeah. it was bad. It was a bad thing, but um, it was definitely void space fires. And you know, again, a new construction that um, we're not getting a lot of fires in, but now we're getting these odd, these more difficult fires, I think. That happened to me one time. It was not a shining moment, and I knew I was responsible. We we were we went to this private dwelling. I was working in the squad, you know, and uh, I go into the bathroom, and I'm like, you know, I'm opening up, and I'm, I feel the wall, and I can feel the tile, and the tile is hot, but I'm like, ah, it's probably just hot because, you know, the, the room was just like on fire, you know. And um, so, you know, I told the lieutenant, I'm like, yeah, it's all good. And then we, <laughs> we get back and we go back to the firehouse. And about like a half hour later, it's like uh, 1075. And I knew it. I knew it as soon as I saw the ticket. I'm like, oh, man, I know exactly what happened. You know, I just was lazy. You know, it was just, uh, I don't know. Um, boys, it's tough. I had one. i tell you one of my rules of thumb. If, you know, I the first question I ask when I get on scene and when I say, uh, you know, we have an odor of smoke, the first question I ask is, what does it smell like? I yeah. want to know, and I'll ask, I'll be very specific. Like, does it smell electric? Does it smell like rubbish? Does it smell like food on the stove? Is it plastic? Yeah. If I hear the, the officer tell me, yeah, Chief, I got a little bit of a wood smell. We're not, we're not going anywhere. We, yeah. We're, Get your pajamas, man. We're there. We're there for the duration because we're not right, going nowhere. Right. So I had I had one one night, and I know the buildings, right? Because I know I know they're renovated. I remember when they were vacant. So I remember when they were being renovated. I know I know how they build these things. They have drop ceilings on every floor, and they boxed out everything, you know. So we get an odor of smoke in this uh, five story, you know, and. Um, I'm getting reports, you know, the lieutenant goes up to the uh, fourth and the fifth floors, and he's like, yeah, chief, he's like, I just smell a little bit something, but it's really, it's dissipating, you know? I said, okay, well, just, I need you to, I I need you to find out where it's coming from. So then um, another 10 minutes go by, and like, same thing, he says, chief, I think we, I recommend that we just give up an odor of smoke, like dissipated. I'm like, yeah. No, so I grabbed the second truck. I said, do me a favor, truck two, go up and just help them out. You know, and now we're there another another 10 minutes, and we're still looking for this thing. So now I'm like, I'm not leaving because I know it's wood. So I, I go into the <laughs> lobby, you know, and <laughs> I'm standing there, and I see this guy come out of his apartment, and he's like, hey, Chief, he goes, this effing building, I... I, I I'm at my wit's end. He says, I'm getting out of here. He says, the electricity in this building, my lights have been going on and off all day. I'm like, oh, uh-huh. really? 
<laughs> I said, what appointment? Where's your appointment? He says, yeah, I'm in here. You, I said, do you mind if I just go in there for a second? So I walk into his living room, and then I go over. For some reason, I don't know what drew me to this wall. I went over to this wall in the bedroom, and I put my hands on it. And I was like, it was red hot. So I'm like, yeah. I called the truck company. I said, do me a favor. Come down here to the first floor. They opened it up. Sure enough, man, it was off to the races, you know. So... Uh. That's, yeah, that's what's happening now with with the – I have my own theory on how this is happening. Like, I I believe – this is what I believe. Because apartments now have <clears throat> big screen TVs. They have computers. They have all kinds of electric whatever. And I think the BX is running through the walls and sitting on these wood beams. Yeah. And they're heating them up to an extent where it's like pyrolysis sets in which lowers the ignition point of this wood. And then there's more insulation, so these things smolder for, for days sometimes, you know, until yeah. they just break out. Like, we had a job I went to. A, I wound up going on, like, a on the third alarm. And the, the residents called around 1800, around the change of tours. They called the super. And the super came up, and he's like, yeah, he, he said, no, nah, there's no, no problems here, right? So then they, they called the fire department around, I guess, around 11 o'clock at night at, like, you know, 2,300 hours. And uh, they could smell it just like I was talking to the, the truck company because uh, it's the same house where I was the captain. And they told me they could smell it faintly, you know. And then they would, you know, like, they were just kind of looking around and nothing was shown and... I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of more of the mindset now that if it's that dire, like you might have to throw a hook up into the ceiling. Either that or go up on a right. roof and do something. But you're going to have to look into that cockwalk space. Well, sure enough, yeah. I think they were about to take up, and they saw, someone saw like a shoot of flame come out of the light fixture. And then yeah. sure enough, they opened it up. The whole cockwalk was going, right? So, man... <laughs> I, I just, I tell you, something, yeah. I think I could see it happening more and more now with um, the increase in lightweight construction with the truss yeah. lofts, with the, like, go to any small town, like, you know, like in Westchester, like, they have a movie theater that is condos now, you know, they have the old yeah. church that they turned into a, a house. Um, what do you think they do with all these voids? They, they definitely, right, they're just repeating. Right. They just, they drop the ceilings down, you know, and um, you know it's all about money, right? So anyway, yeah, uh, but it definitely uh, so, definitely is making us tougher, and we're not getting we're not getting sprinklers in those spaces. So um, no, and, and you know I think a lot of guys are are trying to rely on that thermal imaging camera too, right? As yeah. opposed to put your hand yeah. up there, put your hand up there, put your I mean hook up, put a hole in the thing, right? Yeah, I, I hope that um, I hope that this it's getting out to them that you know, look, it's a great tool, but it's just a tool. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because you know, I I they didn't we didn't have thermal cameras when I came on the job. I didn't use one until like I was 12 years into the job. I remember Rescue One had one. It was the size of like a small TV, but yeah. I could see. Yeah, I could definitely see firefighters now. So go into a room, put the, the camera up to the ceiling and say, well, we got nothing here. 
you know, but they don't realize is that you have like the sheetrock, then you have like insulation, and it's going to block the heat. Like you, you have to, like you said, you have to either go like touch it, well, even with the wall. Yeah. You know what? You know what I noticed too with the lightweight. I noticed this at a, I was at a fire a few years ago, and I don't really use the thermal imaging camera that much, but I, I for some reason I brought it with me. It was the lightweight, and uh, the chief was getting very concerned. And I came in as like the all hands chief, right? And he was about to like just pull everybody out. I was like, Tommy, I said, just give me a minute. Let me go up there and, and just see what's going on. So I went up there, and, uh, like, the fire had already burned through, like, the floor. It, like, burned downwards, right? And there's, like, these joist hangers and his lightweight, and I could see the charring and everything, right? And so I went up, and I, I reduced every – like, I pulled out, like, two companies. And I just left the nozzle, the backup, and the officer in the fire room. And I had everyone else back out down the stairs – but what I noticed is that the room was still very hot, and I had my camera, and I started looking at the at the walls, and those metal studs were retaining the heat, and that's what was showing up on my camera. Have you ever had anything like that happen before? Like that yeah. was like new to me. Yeah, you mean like it kind of was? It was still hot, but it wasn't burning. It was just still right. still like. A, Conduction and it's time. It was cooling off, but it was still hot. Yeah, I mean, it's yes. they're really good. They're really good at, at some of these things, right? They help you. They do help you, you know, as part of the puzzle, as as trying to find what's going on. But then you got to just confirm, you know. And I, I don't think uh, I, I don't think that you know guys understand that the temperature thing, you know, isn't isn't very reliable either, you know. So um, I, I like them. I really I've I. Uh, I, I got to really use it a lot. I was on a, on a rescue company for like six years, and everybody on it had one. So we got to, we got a lot of time with them. Uh, the truck companies we all had one. You know the uh, the officer did or whoever carried it, but but so we got a, I got a, I got a lot of work with with them. And um, you know, there definitely was times where you know it leads you down. It could lead you down the wrong path, but as long as you you know you, you realize that it was a tool and that it, it wasn't going to be um, you know, it was it was to enhance your skills, not to replace any skills. So I, I mean, I think that they're they're, they're needed, right? They're they're and now they're so affordable that everybody can have one. But I mean, do they, everybody yeah. needs to be trained too. That's a problem. And you that's a great like comment. World that's, experience. Yeah. yeah, that's a great comment that you said that it's there to enhance our skills, not to replace. And I think. Firefighters have to understand that, especially the newer generation, right? Because when I came on a job, we didn't have them. And, I, you know, I just never got good at it. I never – and then I, I was a lieutenant and a, and a captain in the, uh, in the engine, and the, the engines didn't have them, so I just never got good at it. And then I got to use it now yeah. as a chief. And I used it, I used it for, like – I'll take it with me, especially if I'm not the incident commander. If I'm going as, like, the uh, – what we call the operations chief or the old hand chief. Yeah. And um, I use it for just, you know, just to keep an eye on, you know, firefighters on the fire ground, on the fire floor. But I tell you what, I had a job um, about two weeks ago. It was on YouTube, actually. It was a fourth alarm in Queens. And um, I wound up going to the rear, right, because um, 
you know, we had like basically in essence three buildings exposed. Like the fire building was like two buildings. It was an auto parts store. But then the third building on the on the Bravo side was a uh, like a daycare center. It was like a hundred by a hundred. It was a big building, you know. And um, anyway, I was like doing my darndest. I did not want to lose this third building, so I went around the back, and uh, it was like I you really couldn't even, outside. You really needed a mask, like outside, you know. But I, you know, I'm supervising, and and I had my camera with me. And I was really concerned about the Charlie wall because already the, the, the Delta wall had already collapsed partially. And I was very, very concerned about that Charlie wall, you know. And, you know, I, what I did was I took that camera and I was able to see everything. I saw where the, where the firefighters were. I could see where the fire was coming out the windows, you know. And what I had to do, yeah. though, Tony, at some point, I actually um, – I got on the radio and I said, you know, I called for safety. And I asked them, I said, do me a favor, come back to the Charlie side, to the rear yard. Because I needed them to watch my back while I was trying to kind of work in this uh, this Bravo, this daycare center. Like, I couldn't do both, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. I couldn't stand there and watch the guys and make sure that they weren't in danger and at the same time try to keep the fire out of the uh, the explosion. So, um, yeah. but that camera, I have to tell you, that was really one of the few times in my career where I could say to myself, man, that camera saved my ass. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it really yeah. did because I couldn't see anything. I'm telling you, man, I was like, in, I was just like in a smoke out, you know? And, um, wow. You know, yeah, that was uh, very grateful to have. So you obviously have a lot more experience with thermal image cameras than I do, because I, I have very minimal <laughs> experience with the camera. Well, I mean that's mm. the thing too, right? You, just like just like every other tool, you can't get good at it unless you use it a lot, right? I mean, experience comes with experience. So um, if yeah. we got to go to, we need more fires that we can go to to use them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I had I had a fire one time. I was uh, working in 19 trucks, and uh, I had the camera, and I was I said to myself, I'm gonna use it. It was a church, you know. I said, you know what? I'm gonna use it, you know. And I'm in there, and like, first of all, I got so distracted with the thing because all I could do was look at the camera, and I lost all my other senses. Like I'm usually good at like, you know, feeling like the heat. Um, the sound, you know, like all that stuff. I'm really good at, like, compensating because I can't see. So now I have the camera, and I can't. It turned out, one of the lieutenants came over. He's like, hey, listen, you dope. The fire is right there. You're looking at it. It was like this doorway that was white, and I had no idea that that, that meant that that was a fire, you know? Like, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, ladder one night, I can't, I, I can't find the fire, you know? It's like... He came over, he looked at the camera, he's like, it's right there, stupid, <laughs> you know? I said, oh, I put it down after that. I was like, you know what? I, I, I Forget it. I said, I can't use this thing. <laughs> so, no, I, well, I got called anyway. out. I got called out after a fire. Um, well, a fire I got, I got hurt on. I, 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 um, we, we were first new truck on this. It was an 11-story apartment building. Fire was on the second floor. And uh, we pull up, and I know where the fire was, right? I could tell where it was. And um, 
I didn't need the camera. Plus, the camera we were using then, I don't know if you've ever seen like a carpet kicker. I mean, this thing was huge, right? It was a real, it was an right. anchor. Anyways, I, you know, the excuses are, are bad, but I, I didn't take the camera with me. So, um, wouldn't you know that um, as we're searching around, I, um, I thought I found an a, a apartment door what actually turned out to be the open elevator shaft. So cool. in my decision to go, I, I ended up falling um, like 35 feet. Well, uh, oh wow! In in the and and, and uh, so I'm in I'm in the elevator shaft, and the rescue officer yeah. who was on the fire floor, he came over. Right, he came over when my when my uh, my barman, my hook and axe guy. He called in like a, a priority message, and um, Klinger, the, the lieutenant from the rescue, came over, and he used his camera. And he's like, "Oh, he's right there!" You know, he could see plainly um, the the door, and then, of course, he could see me down in the elevator, right? So that came out in like the after action report. So you know, they're like, uh, you know, Lieutenant Carroll didn't bring his camera in, and Lieutenant Klinger had this. So now I'm like. I'm taking one everywhere I go from now on, you know. So, yeah. I mean, it was uh, <laughs> and, you know, I, I I'm not gonna, I it definitely, I'm sure if if I had had it, it would have been able to outline that this was not an apartment and this was, you know, not the door you want to go in. But fortunately, it worked out. I didn't, I didn't get, you know, I didn't, I didn't die. I got got a little broken bones, but that was about it. Yeah. I really, I, I, I guess my hat's off to the younger generation because they're going to be really good at the camera. I mean, I just, yeah, I just, not, I'm just not good at it. I, I, I bring it, I bring it when I'm the, uh, the ops chief or the all hands chief, and yeah, I just use it basically for, um, just to watch, you know, to watch the firefighters on the fire floor. I, I, I don't really know how to use it tactically. Um, I was thinking about maybe. In the future, bringing it, if I'm the IC, like, and someone told me, like, you could scan the outside of the building, and you might be able to pick up which window. Like, if the windows are closed in the winter, you yeah. might be able to pick up a heat yeah. signature. But, oh. I mean, you could definitely can, right? It depends on how good the, how good the windows are, definitely, right? And, um, you know, how far away the fire is. You definitely can. It definitely helps with that, especially if you're, if you're the first one there, it could definitely help with, you know, uh, determining where you're going to start your attack or where you're going to go, you know, go first. Yeah. I mean, they're they're really good. Yeah, I, I, they've, I, they're, they're made yeah. so accessible now. Yeah, I tell you one thing, I can't I can't really stress enough about how important it is to locate the fire. So, because I see sometimes things can go really sideways when, um, you know, when you you start working and like you think like the fire is here and meanwhile it's in the other wing or it's in the other building or whatever. And, or worst case scenario is like I've seen this too is like you stretch above the fire. Like, you know, let's say yeah. people call. Like this happened one time. We had this fire. I was in the squad. And um, it came in as a fire on the second floor, right? But it was a rehab. It turned out that the um, the fire was actually in the first floor apartment, and what had happened was it got up in that little cockloft space, that mini cockloft yeah. in between the floors, 
And I could see this now happening with trust loss, right? So, you know, you really have to, like, just before you commit that line, like, just hold on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, get enough to yeah. stretch to get to the floor above. But let's make sure that we're not going above the fire because what happened was the first engine went up above and, you know, it's like a basement fire, right? When you have that, you have that high heat, you have a lot of smoke, but you have, like, really no visible fire, you know? Yeah. And it kind of goes back to this building I was talking about in Chicago, right? So, you, you know, I, I, I told the guys, I said, when I was there, I said, I could see someone from the fourth floor calling and saying, hey, there's a fire in my apartment or whatever, or, and they go up to the fourth floor, commit the, the line to the fourth floor, and it's really in the trust loft on the third floor. Right? I could see that happening. I could see that happening any light was building. So, you know, it really, it's incumbent upon, I guess, the first officer, or I don't know how departments work, but like for us, it would be the truck company. Maybe in D.C. would be the same, but someone has to say, yes, I have eyes on the fire. It's here. And you can't yeah. guess. You know what I mean? Like, if you guess, yeah. like I... Uh, you know, I could I, we could talk all night about how how things go sideways, you know. But the worst one I've ever seen, and it was a, it was every one of us would have made the same decision. There was a fire in the in the throat of this big apartment house, and they just assumed it was on the on the Bravo side. What happened when they renovated the building? They put the entrance on the Delta side, so even though it looked like it was it was it was actually in the Bravo side of the building but the door was on the Delta side, you know? So, you know, they're still like, like miles away from the fire now, you know? So, yeah, that's the one, yeah, that's no, the I, one no, thing I, I'm I, very, I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure you've been caught. I know I've been caught where you, you get there and there's smoke coming out from around the eaves, you know, and you're thinking, oh, it must be a top floor, a top floor fire. And then it's, a, yeah. you know, and then it's like a, a basement or it's a first floor fire. And then oh, the yeah. Smoke, the smoke is just coming out of the, around the eaves or around, yeah. you know, a window on the, and then you get caught and you get to go above it. I mean, and those are, uh, you know, bad yeah. situations. We know how bad the basements are if you're above a basement. Well, the same thing if you're on yeah. the second floor and the fire's on the first floor. I mean, yeah. I just think that we have to be yeah. so deliberate in our, um, in our efforts to make sure that we're not going above and we're using the best entrance, the most, you know, advantageous and not putting us in a bad spot kind of goes back to the wind driven yeah. thing, right? I mean, if you can take a little extra time to find a better way in. Yeah. Well, this kind of, this happened to me. And I can tell you, this ties in to knowing your buildings, right? So I'm a Bronx guy my whole career. And I'm, I'm working in Queens now, like my, one of my first tours. I'm acting battalion chief, right? It's like 20 years ago. And I'm just used to tenements straight up. And I don't know really much about private dwellings. And I think this is now where construction comes in really important, right? Because if you know that the, the buildings in your district are balloon frame, then now you start thinking like, okay, balloon frame, because... And you gotta you gotta also forget about what the people say. Like to, when they call in, they say, "Hey, there's a fire on the second floor," you know. So I get this this call for fire. This is what they said: fire on the second floor, right? So now in my mind, I'm already thinking like, okay, 
we got a fire on the second floor. So I pull up. I'm there by myself. There's no engine. There's no truck. There's nothing. Just me by myself. And I see the smoke pouring out the window on the second floor. I gave a signal. All right, 1075, working fire, second floor, private dwelling. I go in now because no one around. I throw my stuff on. I go in, and I the door to the basement is open, and I get hit with a like, blast of heat from the basement. I'm like, oh, no, man. <laughs> Uh-oh. You know, like, what ha- what's going on here, you know? So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's just another component size up, man, knowing construction. Because knowing construction, yeah. you're going to know how the buildings are going to, how the, how the buildings are going to react and how far it's going to behave in that type of building, right? So, no, well, anyway, agree, um, yeah. It's more than just like worrying about it falling down. It's also worrying about, you know, how it can travel, right? I think that we get wrapped up around. How we can travel, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, about the construction where, where for, uh, you know, for, like 10 minutes operating, 20 minutes operating. Well, it's also important to know, right. you know, how the fire can travel through that whole place. Exactly. So I tell you what, Tony, I think we're an hour into this now, and I, I don't want to beat these people to death, these, these guys or gals or whoever's listening to us. So I'll say to be continued. Um, <laughs> we could talk all night about anything, but uh, to be continued. So anyway, Tony, I want to thank you for, for joining us. Um, I hope that you will join us again in the future. Yes, sir. And um, with that, um, I'm exhausted. I'm, my head's bouncing <laughs> off the table here. So um, <laughs> uh, we'll, we will be in touch, though. Are you going to be out at FDIC? Yes, I'll be there. I got a class on um, Thursday. Uh, first thing in the morning, which, by the way, by the way, um, April 27th is my birthday, so um, wow. we can go celebrate okay. that, and then then uh, I can't do too much because my class is the day after at 8:30 in the morning. Okay. So um, if you're uh, if you're out there and you you want to come talk about um, Mayday Monday, if you want to talk about Firefighter Survival, I'll be doing a class there, and would love to have you as part of my audience. Oh, I'd love to be there. I'll definitely look for it. And I I am doing the keynote on the 26th, which is Wednesday. And then I think I'm – I don't know when my class is. I think it's Thursday, too, but I think it's in the afternoon. And my class, I'm going to do something – I this is something that I, I talked about with Bobby, too. It's going to be more of a, a kind of a 37 years of life in the Bronx. That's how I like to describe it, so – um, wow. It's going to have some teaching points, but it's going to be more like uh, just I have about 15 fires I want to talk about, so um, that's what that's going to be about. I wish I knew what day it was. I'm, I'm embarrassed that I, I don't remember the day. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's Thursday. I'm just not sure what time it is. So. Anyway, Tony, I want All right, to thank sounds you. Good. And um, we're going to wrap it up, and I will see you out at FDIC on um, whenever you get there. I'm going to be there on Sunday, so I'll see you out there, okay? Yes, sir, man. Thanks a lot for having me, and I'll see you in Indy. Thanks, Tony. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. That was cool. That was uh, Tony Carroll from D.C., who's now in Virginia. Anyway, um, look for my class. I wish I knew when it was. It's going to be something about the the, uh, real stories from the FDNY. Um, Just look for Danny Sheridan. I think it's on Thursday, and my keynote is on Wednesday. And uh, if you see me out in the FBIC, please 
come up and say hello. I'd like to say hello. I'd like to see you and um, talk about whatever you need to talk about. All right? Without further ado, I'm going to take off. Good night. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.